You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., And I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Let's Be Real Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Sammy J, and welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. This week, I got to chat with the incredibly talented Cassidy Pope. Now, you may know her from the band Hey Monday, or from winning season three of The Voice, which I actually voted for her. So glad she won. Um, and she actually came out with an album called Thrive, and it is quite incredible. Um, we have a really down-to-earth chat about what it's like being a female artist, especially in country music, what it was like winning The Voice. She goes into some stories that I haven't heard her talk about anywhere else, mental health, the importance of therapy, and she shares a lot about her personal journey, which I'm so grateful she did. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Cassidy, I am so excited that you are on my podcast. I'm excited too. (laughs) Before we start, I have a quick story to tell you. Okay. When you were on The Voice, I was, what year is it? 2012, 2013? 2012, yeah. I remember so clearly 
it was my like obsession with the voice. And I remember I voted for you. I was when you first auditioned and you performed Torn. I was like, oh my goodness. And I, I just remember watching the show so vividly. So this is very full circle for me that you're on my podcast now. Thank you. Thanks for voting. I appreciate that. That's like next level. I mean, I think things worked out pretty well. It's because of you. It's because of your vote. <laughs> that vote, man. It, that, that one vote. That one vote me and my brother did when we called in. Sent me over. <laughs> it's amazing. Thank you. It feels like a, I mean, I was a different person. Like, it was just a whole other life. It was in, insane. I mean, before the pandemic feels like a different life. I agree. <laughs> like nine lives. I feel like it's kind of like a cat at this point. It is. It is. Yeah. Last year was like, I don't, I think it was just a blur. You know, we got through it, but it was a blur. Right. I, that's the thing. I'm like randomly remembering these weird little memories. I'm like, oh wait, that wasn't that long ago, but it feels like 10 years ago. Yeah. It's, and it, this year I feel like has flown by because things have opened back up and it's like my endurance isn't what it used to be. So if I have like one thing to do on it on a day, I'm like, whew, all right, going to get on the couch and <laughs> rest after that one thing I had to do today. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm a freshman in college and I'm living on campus and my social battery, I'm already like an introvert. Yeah. But when you add a pandemic onto that, my oh my. Yeah. My social battery is like negative zero. Right. All the time. It's weird socializing with people in person. Yeah. I, I actually found that I think I, I might prefer the internet um, connecting with people. Like I think it's, I think when we embrace it, it can be really amazing. Like last year getting to, um, I did a bunch of meet and greets, uh, FaceTime meet and greets with my fans. And I was able to have um, writing sessions with people in LA and New York and not have to travel. And I actually felt like my world in a weird way opened up more because I embraced the Wi-Fi and the, yeah. <laughs> the interwebs, like what it could offer us. So, you know, it's sometimes you just have to lean into it. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's also, it's really weird because I'll be watching a movie and I'll be like, there are so many people together. They should be wearing masks. Why aren't they social distancing? I know. And the fact that my brain is wired that way now, I'm like. It's bizarre. Oh my goodness. Very bizarre. What is this? There's something about being in person and having that connection. It's, it's so different. Like traveling, doing something. It's, it, it was a whole to-do. And I kind of miss that. I mean, I think like in doses, both things are great. Like being able to, to be remote when it's convenient and being able to travel when you want to. It's like, that's, that's ideal. But when you're forced into one thing, it's, then it's not very fun. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I have a morning class at 8.30 and there's a Zoom option. And it has been so fantastic embracing that Zoom option because I don't, oh yeah, like who wants to walk across campus at like 8 in the morning? Not me. Yeah, no. no you can stay in your PJs and Damn. sip that coffee. Yeah. I'll stay in bed. That's the way to do it. Agreed. So much art has come out of this pandemic. And it's like for mm -hmm. everybody, it's given us time to really reflect and just think about what we've done, where we want to go. And something that I've been struggling with and learning to cope with is not having your identity be around my career or around one thing, but having right. an identity outside of that. When the pandemic first hit, before we knew how long it would be, Zoom writing sessions started, what was that period like for you as an artist, not being able to perform live and kind of being still with yourself? 
it was definitely a struggle. I mean, I, I do the same where I put a lot of my self-worth in how busy I am, what what's going on for me, are people paying attention, is it a busy time or is it just like an off season, you know? And um, I think at first it was a jolt and it was like, oh my God, like what's gonna happen? And I don't know what to do with myself. Um, and then because it was a worldwide situation and I was not the only artist who was having some a quiet season, um, it kind of brought me comfort in a way that like, okay, we're all in this together in very different levels, but um, we are all like losing our tours and not able to travel and not able to see our fans in person. So it was weird. And then I sort of, um, like I said before, kind of embraced the situation and was like, okay, if I can't go anywhere and I can't tour and do what I love, I'm going to do the second best thing and write on Zoom. And that's, and I wrote the whole album on Zoom um, and wrote with people for the first time that I ended up just loving writing with. I actually found my producer through one of the writing sessions on Zoom. So it ended up, you know, becoming a very positive experience, but it, it was very bittersweet because I wasn't getting, you know, the aspect that I love the most in my career, which is playing live. That's what's so awesome. You wrote an entire album from your home. And I think we're at this place where, like you said, it's all about perspective and we can choose to look on the negative side of things or really turn something into a positive or make the best out of any situation. And yeah, I think something what's really special about this album Thrive is that you're not limiting yourself. You know, there are, for a while, there's, you did country, you did rock, you did punk, but you're really just merging all three and creating your own lane, which is very hard to do as an artist, especially being a female artist. Mm -hmm. You're in, in the country music industry, which is also a very male-dominated industry. And I think paving your own lane is so special. What was that process like? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I was go, I was about to go in the studio in April um, and, and cut some songs that I loved that felt very country radio friendly. It felt like a very safe um, route for me to take. And then once the pandemic hit and it sort of forced me to think about things a little bit deeper and, and honestly, like talking to my management team about it, um, I had just done a Hey Monday reunion show at the end of 2019 and they were like, we've never seen that side of you. So we're fans. Uh, and then, so once we started having those conversations, they were like, you know, you're, you're, you can do this authentically. Like you come from that pop punk world and you grew up singing country music. So they're both authentic to you. What if you just leaned in more into the pop punk thing and, and see where it takes you. Um, and it was really an intentional thing going into each session. Um, you know, the, the songwriters that I was writing with were all briefed by my publisher on the direction I'm going for. And, um, the vision I had and so and just going in with songwriters that helped sort of aid me in that direction too um, was really great but but just going in every session with you know these probably I guess nine years of um, songwriting experience in Nashville but merging you know my pop punk uh, roots and it was just a really natural process I didn't feel like I was compromising anything. I didn't feel like I was chasing anything. I had a goal in mind, but it felt like a goal that I I could achieve very easily, you know? So I, um, I had a lot of fun making this record and I went in the studio with the band and I, I was 
you know, my, I was just right up there at the control board, like constantly, you know, co-producing with, with Nick Wheeler, my producer and Karen Fairchild, my co-producer. And it just felt like a very, from start to finish, a very hands-on precious kind of process. I want to read you something because I rewatched your audition for The Voice and Christina Aguilera said something that kind of foreshadowed what's happening now. She said, you have a little country in there that you could do something with. You have something that's pop driven, something that's a little rock and you can kind of do it all. Wow. <laughs> I don't remember her saying that. Jeez. That's cool. That's, that's what you're doing now. <laughs> you know what? And I, I, that's, that's actually crazy hearing that from her. Cause she's like the same. She can, I feel like she could do it all too. So that's, that's pretty cool. And I'm, and like the fans I've all, uh, kind of coined the genre, um, calling it the alternative, which is really fun. So I'm kind of taking it and running with it and making merch and stuff. Absolutely. You should. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things like doing something that's not what everyone else is doing can be really difficult, especially being an artist, being a young female artist. There are so many pressures of what you should be or what you should look like. Um, was there a certain moment besides the Hey Monday reunion where you're like, man, I really miss this side of me that I haven't been fully letting um, show through my music? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think when I'm on stage and I am playing either Hey Monday song or just like one of my um, newer songs that leans a little bit more rock um, or covering a rock song or something... I do have that, like, I get that itch, or I used to, and now that I have this album, I'm not really feeling that way anymore, but I would get that itch, like, gosh, like, how fun would it be to just kind of go back to that and, and, like, go crazy on stage and not worry about being to this or to that, not being country enough, or even in the rock realm, you know, I never felt weird enough or tortured enough or anything, like, you know, all of our favorite rock stars were always these uh, tortured souls. You don't fit the mold of what they say. Yeah, and, and I, ne- I never felt that way in any, any platform I've been in, um, which has really led me to this point of like, oh, I think I just, I'm, I'm a bunch of things. <laughs> and I don't know where that's gonna land me. I don't know if that's gonna bring me all the awards in the world or it's gonna get me a Grammy, but I, I know that it's me. And I know if people like it, then they like me for who I am. So. That's kind of, that was why I was like, okay, I think I'm down to just kind of see where this goes. Yeah, I mean, you were just being Cassidy. And that's all we can all do at the end of the day is just be ourselves because there's only one of you. And there's a reason for that. Yeah. And I think something that's really interesting with your writing, it's just very authentic and it uses storytelling, which I feel like in a lot of um, songs nowadays, it's very... It's meaningless, you know? They're just words together that sound nice with a pop beat. And uh, no shade to anyone that does that sometimes. <laughs> like, that, that's a great vibe to be in. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's super catchy, yeah. But it's having those lyrics and being able to tell a story with your music can relate to more people. What do you love about storytelling? Because that's what music is, essentially. I'm always really surprised at... The songs that I feel are really specifically personal to me, how they connect with so many people. Um, I've put out songs that I'm like, this is a very, (laughs) 
ex very specific situation that maybe not many other people have been through. And then I put it out and it's like, oh, well, like, obviously I'm not alone here. And it's like a very, you know, therapeutic process because while I really appreciate fans who say this has helped me through this or that, they're also helping me to f not feel so crazy and alone in my feelings. So um, that's always been surprising to me with like storytelling is, is as a songwriter, we're kind of taught to make it appeal to everybody. Don't um, make it super gender specific or like a cultural, sp culturally specific song or, you know, the people in a small town aren't going to relate to this like city song or whatever the, the reasons are. It, we're always told as songwriters to try and make things connect with everyone. And that's why we get the super watered down lyrics and the really catchy songs, but they don't really say much because that is it. And it works. That is, that is something that works, but it also works when people get specific like Taylor Swift and Adele and Harry Styles. And, you know, I, I think the, that that's, uh, if it's done right, that, that blows up just as big as the very, um, safe songs. Absolutely. And I think something that I love your title thrive because I feel like we've been surviving, but we should all, we should all aim to thrive. Right. What was the process? What is your writing process generally? Do you have a concept in mind? Do you start with the lyrics, the melodies, the title? It's different every time. I mean, the biggest difference writing this album, of course, was it was on Zoom, but um, it didn't really change as far as the process of like, uh, for Thrive, for instance, I brought in um, the first verse and I brought in the, what I wanted the hook to be. Like I didn't just survive without, you know, I thrive. And we went from there. Um, and some sessions are like, I have a whole chorus. Uh, some sessions I have just a melody. There were a few that I just brought a concept in. I didn't have any lyrics or, or any melodies to it. I just had the concept. So it just depends. And um, the thing that I think is really great about when you have a publisher who really knows your strengths and your weaknesses is they will put you in a room with people who cater to where your weaknesses are. And that's something that I really appreciated through this process because I I did want to really focus on storytelling and being honest and, and kind of staying the course and not getting too distracted about other things, um, like who it would appeal to. And once that sort of like solidified itself and that was the process, it really just was like just flowing. And every session, um, something else amazing would come out and, but I always, I always brought in something. Um, so that, I think that was a good like launching pad for all the sessions. What would you say the biggest thing you've learned about yourself through writing this album has been? I've learned that I, I carried a lot of shame about a lot of things, um, hmm. from like breaking someone's heart to, um, feeling spiteful, uh, to, um, you know, something happening when I was younger that I look back on and as an adult and I'm like, I actually didn't know better because I was really young. Um, whereas before I had a lot of shame about these things. And so the writing process was, was again, therapeutic because I kind of let myself, I let myself kind of feel like, like a victim a little bit. And I've never really been into that. Like I've always taken accountability for my decisions and 
um, never wanted, never wanted to people to feel bad for me. So I tried to sound stronger in my songs and this time around, I just leaned into the real feelings of, of shame and, and disappointment, embarrassment and hurt and feeling like a victim and all those things. So like, yeah, I, I just, I guess the thing I learned about myself was that I, I was almost um, trying to protect myself mm. uh, for a very long time. But in reality, I, I was just um, keeping everybody at arm's length. I think that's so interesting that you say that because we go through things through life and we have shame towards it. And a lot of the things we shouldn't, because like you said, we're all on a journey and we're all growing and it's part of the experience. And I think being able to turn something that you were shameful of, but vocalize it really takes that shame away from it. Would you say you felt that way through writing? Yeah, I think talking about it definitely does. I mean, anytime you're talking about a trauma or something that, that hurt you in the past, every time you talk about it, you're releasing it more and more, um, each conversation. So I definitely feel like, uh, this album is, is heavily rooted in my journey with mental health too. Like just being very vocal about things that are really uncomfortable to talk about that people stigmatize and, make us feel weird when we express things and, and just kind of like throwing that all away and just, um, you know, I hope I made people uncomfortable with some of these songs. I hope yeah it made people think. Be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, that's what my favorite artists do for me is like, oof, they make me uncomfortable in a good way. So we're growing if we're uncomfortable, I think. We have to take one quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk more about the topic of mental health, the best advice you've received in therapy, pushing ourselves to be more uncomfortable and to grow your experience on The Voice, and so much more. We'll be right back. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. 
Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation. I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Julia Michaels has a song called Anxiety. And it was the first song I ever listened to where I was like, I feel attacked. This is too accurate to my entire life. Like she put words to a feeling I couldn't even describe, which was truly, that's what's the power of music, I feel like. And um, for people who've listened before, I've been so honest. I've struggled with anxiety and OCD my entire life. 
And I used to be so scared. But no, it's working on yourself and being a better person by having these open conversations. We're not giving it the power. Right. Yeah. And I feel like people do see therapy as this last resort. You got to hit rock bottom before you go. We have to wait for a crisis. And it's like, man, I I did that and it was awful. (laughs) I wish I had done some work uh, because I had plenty of things that I knew would mess me up, like my parents' divorce and my dad leaving us and, you know, being in the industry since I was like 12. A lot of weird people in and out of my life um, taking advantage and stuff and just being a young kid around a bunch of older people um, in the industry. And I, if I had just seeked some help and, and started sort of confronting some of the things I was feeling at an early age, I, I mean, I wouldn't be here right now. So I would be, I, I'm not going to say I, like, I want things, I wished things turned out differently, but it would have been, it would have been really helpful to have some tools being 18 on the road, just mayhem like be like a tornado <laughs> traveling yeah 18 year old tornado girl traveling the world like yeah that would have been useful and it's a lot putting yourself out there in your songs and in the spotlight and touring when you're 18 and meeting all these people what would you say the best tool you've learned is in your journey uh in therapy because I have quite some tools in my toolbox I'm just curious I always love asking people what they've learned Yeah, totally. I mean, there's, there's so many things I learned. Um, I, a big thing was not taking everything personally, um, because I was always so concerned with what people thought about me. If they canceled. Girl, I feel you. Right. Like if they canceled on me last minute to hang, I'd be like, oh, it's because I said this one time and they're mad at me. And, and like, and then I sort of, once I started therapy, I realized how like borderline narcissistic that is of like, you know, obviously it's, it's insecurities too, but why would my first thought be that them canceling on me is about me? It's, it's usually not. And it's usually because something came up or maybe they just don't feel like it. It's not about me. It's something they're going through. And so that was really helpful because, um, you, once you feel that and once you really like, accept that, don't take things personally, you aren't as affected by other people's decisions. And that's power. That's like where you take it back, um, which is which is really nice. Yeah. And then I think to just um, seeing how things from my childhood affected me as an adult, that stuff, even though it can't, it can't change anything that's happened, it still is like seeing it through the lens of, you know, the reason you dated these people or the reason you made these bad decisions, like think about the, that stuff that happened as a kid and your parents fighting or your parents divorce or whatever it may be, um, that, that directly affects you now as what you're making your decisions. And it's like internalized trauma that you haven't let go of yet. And so that while it, again, it doesn't like cure me. It's, it is to be self-aware is, It's so important. It's so powerful. And to be able to know that, okay, this is why I did this. And how can I move forward to not repeat those same actions? Right. It's huge. I'm actually reading a book by Oprah and Dr. Perry called What Happened to You? Which I'm trying to get more into reading. I'm really trying to better myself all around. I'm trying to like meditate and just everything. Ooh, good. 
And I'm really enjoying this book. And it kind of goes into what we're talking about, what has happened in our past, how our brain stores it, and how that reflects in the actions we do. Yeah. Which is super interesting. Our brains are crazy. Yeah, I I um I started trauma therapy like four months ago and I um there were so many moments where I'm like, I don't know why I'm so triggered by when somebody says this to me or when my boyfriend does this or you know, when my mom says this. And doing trauma therapy is the most bizarre process because it will literally pop into your brain something that was said or done to you as a kid and you're like that's why I, I, I don't handle this phrase well, or I don't handle it well when somebody, you know, if my boyfriend walks ahead of me in a social setting and I feel abandoned, like that, that kind of, those small moments that really trigger me and just to know where they come from is so great. And then like targeting those memories and reprocessing them to not affect you as badly is a game changer. Like that, that kind of therapy has been amazing for me. And it's not even like, okay, this happened in the past, but then you can work on how to, because you're aware of it, how to make that not trigger you so much in the future. Yeah. It's taking the power back, which is so powerful. And I feel like, I don't know, I could go on about therapy for hours. I highly recommend it. It, It's, it's just, (laughs) if you want to be, grow as a human, you don't have to have issues to go to therapy, which is that weird stigma with it. Obviously you want to go into therapy for yourself to feel better and um, improve and, and just know yourself better. But the collateral, like the positive collateral from that is so amazing. Like your, your relationships get better, um, so you might, you might lose some relationships. The more you grow, the more you might grow away from people and that's okay. That's not a bad thing though. It's not a bad thing. It's actually uh, really great because you're, the more you step into yourself and who you really want to be, the more you become aligned with people that will help you with that, you know? So it's, it's just all around, like it helps everybody around uh, involved, like you and the people that are, that you're in relationship with. And I know you said you, you were in Hey Monday before The Voice, but you said you've been in the industry since you were 12. Yeah. What were you doing at 12? <laughs> I know. It's, it's been a long journey. Um, I was I took voice lessons from four years old, and then my voice coach would get all of her students together to go play at fairs and festivals and really got us on stage young, which is great. And I think I, I was playing some fair or festival in West Palm Beach for Radio Disney, and um, a couple of- Wait a second. We, sorry, continue. Then we have to talk about Radio Disney for a second. Oh, okay. I mean, it was like put on by Radio Disney. I wasn't exactly like a Radio Disney artist, you know? Okay, yes. But there, were, there was this couple who um, were managers who worked for Radio Disney who liked me and were like, I think I was like 12 or 13 at the time and they wanted to help me with my career. And so from that day forward, I had managers and I had- um, you know, gone to different music conferences and sang acapella for people and tried to get record deals. And by 15, I had my first record deal with drive Through records and <laughs> Damn. yeah. And I was on there for a year. Didn't work out cause I was writing pop punk songs and they wanted like really obscure indie music. Um, and so I just got off that and then just kept, kept that process basically going. Oh my goodness. So I worked for Radio Disney for four years. Oh. I love Radio Disney, but I just, oh. I feel like I didn't quite make it fully into the Radio Disney 
realm, it was more of like these managers worked for Radio Disney and then they left Radio Disney to just be managers. Ah, I see. Yeah. So, but you've been in it for a long time. Yeah. yeah. I relate to that. I've been, I started, my first interview was when I was 13. Oh my God. That's amazing. So I've been, yeah, five and a half years I've been working and I've wow. loved every second of it. But it's really interesting. I'm sure you can relate. Like when you're working at a, as a young age, I always gravitated towards people that were older than me and I had trouble kind of finding my group with people that were my own age because I was always focusing on like my career and like what's next. Yeah. You said you were touring 18. Do you think you missed out on anything or are you like me and that's just kind of the path that we were given and you're kind of like mentally older than the age you always were? Yeah, I, I agree. I, that's, I, the, the, the more I talked to my friends who went to college and stuff, the more I felt, I feel like I, I got some insane life experience very quickly at a very young age that, you know, and I, I, I'm not saying college is bad. I think it's great. Um, it's different for everybody. It's different for everybody though. Not everyone is meant to go. Yeah. And, and I, and it's always there. I got my high school diploma, so I could always go back, but, (laughs) um, but yeah, I definitely, I feel like it was the right path for me. It was, I, all I wanted was to get on the road and, I, my parents were really supportive. I mean, my mom was the most supportive and, um, I just had this opportunity staring me in the face and I, it wasn't even a question. I was like, I'm not going to college when I've got a fallout boy tour to go on. Like, yeah, (laughs) I'm going to do that and think about school later. But I, I was in a very rare position where I had a record deal and I had big tours lined up. Like I totally get the, the sort of, um, conflicting feelings of do I go to school or do I pursue this when there isn't a deal and there aren't tours already lined up and stuff so I do I do see how unique my experience was and then the voice came along yeah okay few questions how is that how do you deal with that kind of pressure on live tv people literally voting to determine your fate I know because when you think of it like that it's really weird it is. And, and, you know, I came off the road touring and competition was not in my vocabulary. I've never been competitive as far as my music goes. Maybe when I was a kid and like went before I like matured, I'd be like, eh. That doesn't count. That doesn't yeah, count. Yeah. Yeah. I want to beat her and whatever. I want to be the best karaoke singer. I don't know. <laughs> but I, but in my adulthood, going on tour and being, being on tour with your friends. It's like a party. It's so much fun and it's not competitive. You go up and you sing during each other's sets and you sleep on each other's buses, have sleepovers, and it's just really fun and not competitive at all. So going into The Voice was terrifying and I could see how other people were super competitive and they were walking up and down the halls doing their crazy runs and stuff just to kind of intimidate each other. And, And the pressure was so stifling. Oh yeah. Since The Voice, I I have a hard time with live television to be completely honest. I I do it and I think I do a great job, but inside I am a complete and total mess. I am a mess. <laughs> I I remember when it was like when they were like about to na- announce like who was the winner. And I remember I was like 
me and my brother were like about to throw up like oh my god what's what's gonna like they build it up and Carson was like you it was just I was like just say it already and I know they do that on purpose but like what is it like actually being there and then you're like I don't oh my goodness yeah did it feel like hours it did it felt so long and and it was like I didn't feel like I had it in the bag at all because Terry McDermott, who was the runner up, he, he just like stole everybody's heart. And he, I loved him so much. He, he's, he's a great guy and Scottish and sings eighties classic songs. Like what's not to love, you know, has a cute little family. And I just, I just was like, I almost at that point was like, I hope he wins. Cause I really, well, I thought that he had the better voice and I thought, that he deserved it more or something because he's been in the industry way longer. And like, I don't know. I just, I, I'm a self-sabotage person. So I was like, yeah, like give it to him. And, um, so yeah, it was really, really awful. And now I, I watch it here and there, but I have a hard time like keeping my heart rate down and, and feeling normal. Okay, Cassidy, we have to take one final break, but when we come back, let's talk a bit more about some of the crazy experiences on The Voice. I also want to talk about your own music and your perspective on social media, and so much more. We'll be right back. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. I would say after your season, I only watched like one other season because it was just too much for my anxiety. I was like, I can't do this. Yeah. By the way, this is a side note. Your outfit and your audition was iconic. Oh, thank you. Where was that blue dress from and those red and those red boots? Those I remember seeing that when I was 10. I was like, I want that. Oh, my God. I couldn't believe they let me wear that. I was like, here's a weird outfit that I like. And I'm like, great. The the, the dress was, I think, from... um, Forever 21, and then the, the shoes were, oh my god, I think Shoe Dazzle, or f- one of those like online shoes places. I was super broke, so I, the dress I had in my closet for forever, 
the shoes, I remember like getting them and like calling whatever the company was to cancel my membership because I couldn't afford another month of it. And they kept me on the phone for an hour and were like, are you sure you want to? I'm like, I just, I'm broke. I can't afford this. I just, I can't afford this. I just wanted these pairs of shoes. <laughs> yeah. And so it was kind of hilarious that that those, that was the outfit that I wore to audition for the voice. It was, do you still have the dress and the shoes? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've kept it all. Good. As yeah. you should. And that yeah. audition song, what was it like getting the four chair turn? Because how do you keep singing during that? <sighs> I know. I, I I know we're going back memory lane, but why not? No, it's it's a good question because it is actually something that the producers talked to all of us about before the blind auditions. They were like, We understand the pressure and the anxiety and if you have a chair turn, we understand like the relief you're gonna feel. But if you stop singing and you like drop to the floor, you drop your mic, whatever, and you just get so excited that you made it through, we're probably not gonna air your audition because that's that's not gonna be good TV to like see somebody just, oh, I got a chair turn, I'm gonna stop singing. So that was motivation for me. Cause like I did not for the, I did not for one second think I was gonna win this show. So I was like, I gotta make sure they air my blind audition because it, I'm not gonna last very long and I just need all the exposure I can get. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what I was thinking when they turned. I was like, you gotta keep singing. You gotta get this to be aired. I don't know how you would do that. Like, that's something so incredible. And you have all these, like, incredible, like, iconic artists. That's, when you really think about the whole show, it's so intimidating. It is. The most intimidating part is when their backs are turned to you. And then once they're turned around and you see them interacting and, like, uh, reacting to your, your voice, then it's easier. Like, I've never sung to people's backs before, so it was weird. Yeah, it's, it's a weird power dynamic, too. It is, yeah. I will say, maybe this is controversial, I don't know, but I think your season was probably one of the best seasons of The Voice. Oh, thanks. It was so new. It was still, like, it didn't feel, like, repetitive. It was so fresh. It wasn't people trying. It was just people who loved music. And and everybody had a different vibe. Like, I, I remember looking around and being like, I don't know who's going to win because we're all so different from each other, and that's that's what was special. And then they'd have us all sing together for these numbers, and it was like, amazing because we all just sounded different but harmonized with each other and it was it was a really special season yeah and then you released wasting all these tears which i remember seeing that music video like (laughs) oh my god i was in middle school i told you i i I followed you for a minute and i was i remember being in middle school that's amazing i remember seeing that video and i was like whoa this girl went off (laughs) well i one of my like dreams as a kid when I would like envision a career in music was like I get to be I get to act in music videos like of my own songs like I I'm not an actress but I get to like play one for like a day with the dresses and the lights and the whole vibe yeah that is one of my favorite parts of what I do too is is being in music videos and getting to like live out my childhood dreams absolutely that one was definitely one of my favorites of just the there were so many different setups it was like you know full day it was so extra in the best way yeah and and like the indoor swing with the with the rain was just crazy i couldn't believe that they figured that out and i just felt like this isn't this is a major label video shoot cool (laughs) was that the moment when you felt like you made it or whatever whatever it quote made it means have you ever felt that or do you still feel like you're working on that i still feel like i'm working on that yeah i really 
Yeah, yeah. You got a Grammy nomination, girl. I am so I'm I'm proud of the things that I've accomplished. I am grateful, but I don't. You know, you're capable of more. I know I'm capable of more, and I also don't really know the. I don't have the thing that I that once that happens, I'm I'm good. I feel like I've made it. I mean. A big bucket list moment is to host and be musical guest on SNL, but... Manifest. Let's manifest, Cassidy. I, I know. Put it out there. I, I, it would be the coolest thing. Um, but I don't... Even then, I'd be like, okay, what's next? Like, that was so awesome. I'm so happy. What else can I do? Maybe if I played a stadium and I sold it out and I headlined, maybe that would be like, oh, I made it. Because that's, to me, the most tangible success that you could have is is like people coming out to see you play and that many people so maybe maybe that maybe like a stadium tour would be like here we go I'm good I totally agree with that and I totally understand that because you always want to work towards something better but then I go because I struggle with them like okay but then am I focusing on what's to come or am I just not living in the moment yeah which is a really hard balance to do yeah what advice do you have for me? Or are you still going through that yourself? <laughs> no, I, I... It's a, it's a journey. It's a journey. And I think I think everything's different. You know, I think, like, if you feel like a big weight's been lifted and you've accomplished something and you want to sit in that for a minute, like, I think you should listen to that instinct and sit in it and, and celebrate. And then I think, too, if there's, like, our gut tells us so much. So if you feel... Oh, yeah. If you feel like, okay, great, I did that, but... Is it enough to really like take like a few days off to just enjoy it? Um, or can I enjoy it while simultaneously continuing to work forward? That's usually where I land. It's like, okay, I can, I can enjoy this and celebrate while staying productive. We're also, we're, we're in a world where with social media, everything is defined and you're defined by that outward success of what other people say of your projects. But at the end of the day, just matters how you feel about it. And if you're proud of it, and that's so much easier said than done. Yeah. But what has it been like? Because social media, when you were like on The Voice, was not nearly as prevalent as it is now. Mm-hmm. And it's, I've struggled with a very uh, toxic relationship with social media mm-hmm. because it's so easy to compare yourself to people, how many followers you have, all this and that. Um, yeah. And that's what a big part of the music business has become about how many followers you have. How have you dealt with navigating that when you're just an artist and you care about the art? I've, um, over the past year and a half, really paid attention to what sets me apart instead of how can I be as popular as this person. I love that mindset. Yeah, because I'm not, I, I don't, I love, I think it's beautiful when women show their bodies. I think it's amazing when men show their bodies. I think it's like you're, you know, you have agency over your body, what you do with it. So I have no problem with that. I personally don't feel comfortable. I don't want to say ever because I might tomorrow be like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to wear a bathing suit on Instagram. Yeah. But as of late, I don't, I'm not a bikini selfie poster. Girl, I feel that. And I think it's great when people do it, but I do see that gets way more engagement than anything I post. <laughs> but then I'm like, well, you know, people want to look at that kind of stuff. Maybe there's more people that want to look at women that look amazing in a bathing suit or are comfortable enough to show their bodies more than 
seeing me play like turning a my chemical romance song into a country song acoustic you know <laughs> like i don't know what the mainstream audience wants but can't focus on that you can't focus on that because social media like as big as it is it doesn't account for everybody in the world it doesn't and it doesn't define your success or your talent how many likes you have yeah exactly so i I've, I see it, I pay attention to it, sometimes it gets to me, but most of the time I'll, I'll like be like, I'm gonna look at my feed and just see how it looks, and I'm like, that looks like me, that looks like me. I'm, a, I'm goofy, I'm an artist, I, I'm a musician, I love my dogs, I love my boyfriend, I love my family, I love my friends, that's what you're getting on my page. You're not, I, I don't, sometimes I'm like, ooh, I love my makeup today, I'll post a selfie. As you should. Uh, that's completely self-indulgent and I lean into that when I feel like it, you know, but my page looks like me and that's, I, I have to, I do intentionally like have to stick with that, you know, because of the pressure. Oh, absolutely. And I think something I'm realizing as I'm getting older, being a girl, being a young woman, being a woman, it's so hard. <laughs> yeah. You have the interesting perspective of like country music. That's such a male dominated industry where so much of the songs are so sexist. Yeah. What what was that like being a woman in that industry and what was the biggest thing you've learned about someone you don't want to be and who you want to be moving forward? I think like aligning myself with there are people in Nashville that are like-minded and like agree with a lot of the things, you know. Oh, of course. It's not everybody. It's not everybody, so I've just aligned with the people that I know are are working for change and they're advocating for artists of color, anybody of color in the country realm. Like there's so many producers and songwriters that just don't get the time of day. So like just just aligning with those initiatives, aligning with those people that really wanna make that happen, um, knowing when to speak up and when to step back, you know, all that stuff. But like, I I think the thing that I struggled with more than, you know, the dudes that sing the songs that objectify women really was mainly just like my experience with a country label um, because there is this pressure put on you to be digestible, to be um, cute, um, you know, don't like roll off the plane at 6 a.m. after you went on a four, 5 a.m. flight, roll into the radio station without makeup on. Like, you better get ready in that airport bathroom. <laughs> Have the blonde hair with the extensions. Yeah, yeah, all of that. Like, just, you know, don't don't show your tattoos all the time. Like, cover them up sometimes. I remember one, like, one promo shot. I, I caught them editing out my tattoo on my arm. And I was like, uh, what are you going to, how are you going to explain it when I go to people in person and they see a tattoo and not in the picture? And also like, I was, I remember that too from your audition. Like it's like very distinctive. It's not like a little, like little <laughs> yeah. whatever, you know, it's, it's, what is it by the way? Um, well, and, and then it's a hand tattoo too. Like you can't cover that, but, um, yeah, yeah it's all music related. There's like, that's hard to show, I guess. Um, there's a bird singing, which was my first tattoo. That was my first one the day after I turned 18. Um, this one is the, this is from the Fall Out Boy tour I was on where I like went on, on like a world tour for a year, basically at 18, which was crazy, amazing. Um, and then this is from my great grandpa. Uh, I would 
call him Pappy, but when I was too young to pronounce it, I'd call him Happy. And Hey Monday, well, before we were Hey Monday, we were Blake. Um, Blake showcased for Columbia Records on my Pappy's birthday. And he had passed at that point, but we got signed. So I was like, oh, he's looking out for me. So I got a happy face. That's Blake. And you had Blake Shelton. I know. Isn't that weird? My, my, Blake's my middle name. So. Wait, what? I know. <laughs> it's like a cosmic thing. If you have a kid, you should name it Blake just to make it even more full circle. <laughs> I know. I know. It would be, that would make sense. <laughs> Cassidy. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I know you're so busy. I know you're writing. I know you're doing, but this conversation just means so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me and like being down to talk about some some deep stuff. It was awesome. I'm like, you're so wise for your age. Like I am still blown away that you're, what are you, 18, 19? Just turned 19. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you're going to be just fine. Thank you so much, Cassidy, again, for coming on this week's episode of the Let's Be Real podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and follow me on Instagram at It's Sammy J. That's I-T-S-S-A-M-M-Y-J-A-Y-E. I love hearing your comments. DM me always if you have any questions or if you just want to chat. My DMs are open and I will see you guys next week with another very special episode. Bye, guys. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people 
it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.